Good morning, everybody. Judging by how wet you look, it must be raining outside. <laughs> so praise God for that. It's good to be back. Thanks for letting us sneak away for a couple of weeks. We went to a little town of Morton, Illinois. Uh, trivia fact, uh, that's where my son has taken on a job as assistant pastor, and we helped him move into their home. Uh, a little, in case you want a little trivia fact, Morton, Illinois is the pumpkin capital uh, of the world. They make 75% of the processed pumpkins. So let's just call it good with that knowledge and go home today. How's that sound? We are glad you're here. Thanks for a couple weeks off also to Pastor Pat. Thank you. He's, he was my mentor, my uh, biggest cheerleader, and you guys really blessed him as they get ready to leave to South Carolina, but it's good to have him back here, and thank you, Pastor Eric, for doing a great job on the ninth commandment and making fun of me. It's always fun to be made fun of. Why? No, I'm just kidding. That was... I just am so thankful that we have such good people to help take care and we have such gifted people to keep us going. To our guests, see a few new faces. My name is Brian, I'm our lead pastor. And uh, when you came in, Emma said they had this worship guide. That is, she talked about that really important part about filling that out. But there's also these sermon notes. We're gonna jump into the sermon. We're talking about the 10 commandments, actually the last one today. So you fill that in, all of you, if you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter five. And if you want to get a pen out, because there's gonna be a lot of notes you'll see around this too that we'll add on. Uh, but before we jump into that, there's a couple really important announcements I'd like to cover with you. One is on this worship guide is a save the date. Worship in the park. We are gonna do church in the park on August 29th. We'll, we'll select the time here soon and let you know what that is. We're giving you a little bit of a heads up. And people say, well, why do we go to the park and worship there when we got a nice building? Well, that's just exactly the reason why. Is the first reason we go to worship in a park is that it's the one time that both of our church services come together. People that you didn't know come to our church for years that you've never seen because they're always in the other service. So it's one time we worship together. The second part is to remind us this church is not the walls. We go right down to the heart of our community and we're right in the middle of our community which reminds us what our call is all week long. The church is not walls but it's people. So pay attention to that. On the back there's this other really important thing is that you, we, you got a newsletter this week and in this newsletter that was emailed to you, we have this database and membership review. It's just an annual process we do to keep track. This is a highly transient community with college and military, and we just check in with everybody, and it's gonna, so that email asks you like five questions. All you gotta do is click on it, and it will give you a piece of information. It's very quick to fill out, but we need every one of you to go online. With COVID too and stuff, we're making sure that we're staying connected to everybody, that people who've left, moved away, whatever. So everybody, please, do fill out that email, respond. We'll harass you for just a little while to make sure everybody gets there. That way we can make sure our data information is, 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 is there. Also gives you an opportunity if you want to look at membership within a church, gives you an avenue for that also. Whew, one more exciting announcement. This is like the most exciting one. Can I show you a picture here of Pastor Wayne Hobson and his wife Dorothy? They are our new associate pastor for our church. Can we give them a huge cheer? Especially, I know they tune in a lot. They are leaving Charlotte, North Carolina to come uh, be part of us. We've been looking for this pastor position for almost two years because we wanted the right fit for what we're doing. And, and so we're really excited about Wayne and Dorothy coming. They'll be here in later August and you'll see him, we'll put him up here uh, the very first Sunday that he can share with you guys and get to know them a little bit better. But we're really excited about them coming. 
Okay, so let's jump into, we are in the last week of the Ten Commandments, this series we call Laws in Life. And so we're in the Tenth Commandment there in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so just the last time, I'm going to say this one more time, the laws and the commandments of God are not about don't, they're actually about do. We've been sharing how they're so important in our lives. If we don't follow the commands of God, we end up being slaves and we end up being slaves to sin and everything that God designed not to happen for us in life, these 10 are the most important things that can derail our life. So a lot of people think commandments restrict my freedom. They actually give you freedom. Freedom to live life and live life to the full. But when we don't do that, we actually become slaves to sin and that freedom is gone. So we've been hitting that one hit one more time. And while I was writing this, you know, always the last sermon, this and the series is kind of a big one. And uh, as I was writing this, I always write these a lot of times in my den, my man cave at home. And as I was looking around, you know, I was writing about the ninth, the tenth commandment. I was thinking, you know, there's so much in my man cave over all these years that kind of describe what I've invested time in, what I've, what, what's been valuable to me in life, and it was convicting. So let me show you some of that. Uh, that I brought a few of those things I looked at, saying, really. Uh, so let me share a few things that I brought from my man cave uh, to look at what I devoted, some trophies, some achievements. This is the uh, Cheyenne County Spelling Bee Champion from 1980. Big day, big day. Um, I can tell you the word I went out with at state. It was gangrene. Uh, but anyway, and I become a medical person after that. How's that figure? Let's see, uh, this one's kind of cool, it's big. This is, uh, I spent 20 years in healthcare. You know, after so many years, I give you a, a, a kind of years of service gifts. I got this really cool clock and it really needs the batteries changed because it doesn't keep time right now. But it's like, yeah, 20 years, you know, you, you li life, sweat and blood in the healthcare system and you get a clock. Isn't that kind of cool? All right, so put that in that box. Um, this one's kind of neat. This is actually with my boys. Uh, they kind of grew up uh, watching the Cleveland Indians who are now the Cleveland Guardians. Their name changed this week. Uh, but this is actually an autographed baseball by Bob Feller. Now, how many here even know Bob Feller is? Bob Feller served in World War II and then came out and pitched the World Series the last time Cleveland won the World Championship. But my boys got to meet him. He didn't like older people like me, but he loved kids. And so he signed this autographed ball and I thought that was kind of cool to have somebody from the 1940s. That was neat. So talking about sports, yeah, my grandfather used to make uh, these cutout standees for all his grandkids that were in sports. This is me in high school, my senior year in basketball. I devoted a lot of time uh, to basketball. So yeah, there's the 80s uh, haircut and the short shorts, in case you're all... That's kind of neat, but, but then another, another thing here, like, man, I invested a lot of time in this. I got this just two years ago, the year I retired from refereeing basketball. The state of Kansas gave me a 30-year uh, award saying thank you for refereeing in Kansas for 30 years. So I was kind of, and it, I was supposed to get it during a state tournament, and, but COVID shut it down, so I unceremoniously got it in the mail. So that was exciting. <laughs> so that kind of put that achievement there. This one's kind of funny. Um, how I spend my money. Uh, this is uh, a Pope Francis bobblehead. <laughs> so it can seem sacrilegious. I grew up in a Catholic background, but we were in Rome, my wife and I, and we're on Vatican Street. We're, on, we're in Vatican City, right in front of St. Peter's Basilica, and there's vendors there, and they have Pope Francis's bobblehead. So I thought it was kind of cool, because I think Pope Francis would think this is funny. He's that kind of guy, but I spent my money on a, so yeah, <laughs> if anybody put him in there. Last thing that I kind of realized what I spend my money on was this. Um, 
I gotta get in a place where I can do this. The, uh, so as you guys know, you, you go through Facebook feeds and stuff like that and you come across all these ads that track what you're thinking and what you're doing. All of a sudden they start sending you all these. So it's like, this is actually a golf club that teaches you how to not slice. And so like for 48 bucks, like I slice, which means that when you hit the ball, it takes a hard right turn and goes way over in the other fairway. So I bought this because it promised to correct my slice. So, so I said if I just swung it, you know, like 20 sometimes a day, that it would, it would fix that. So I spent 48 bucks and I still have a slice. <laughs> There's a lot more stuff. Um, there is... <laughs> I forgot to put up here, but there is one thing, I forgot to put it back, but there's one thing in my man cave that's really important, and it's this picture. And it's a lot different than everything else I showed you. And, uh, but I'm gonna come back and talk about that. I'll leave that right there. One thing, all those items I put in that box, uh, one thing that they all share uh, is that they will have little value before I, where I stand before God. And I mean, it doesn't mean necessarily they're bad, I just, that stuff, when I stand before God, won't matter. Nothing in that box will. That box of stuff there brings to mind a 10th commandment. So let me share with you the 10th commandment, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. The last of all the commandments. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. You must not covet your neighbor's house or land, their male or female servant, their ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That's the 10th commandment. Don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. So you look at that, it's written several thousand years ago, wife, house, land, servants, ox, donkey. A lot of that may not ring a bell to us. Let me, let me bring it up to today's age. Don't covet your wife still counts. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, their house, their manicured lawn, their new SUV, their ZTR mower, their underground sprinkler system, or their pontoon boat. <laughs> I won't tell you how many things I coveted in there. So we look at that and we bring it up today because everybody was agrarian thousands of years ago. Everybody worked on farms, so that meant, but yeah, to us, what is it my neighbor have that I covet? So let's, let's answer this question. There's a word we don't use today, covet. Well, what does covet mean? So let's look at our very first sermon note together here on the back of your worship guide. To covet is to desire something that God has not given us. To covet, the word is replaceable with the word desire. To desire something that God has not given us. This is the only commandment of all of them that actually starts with the heart. All the other ones start with an action or behavior. This one actually starts with a heart. It starts with desire. Do not desire. But it says, do not desire that something is not ours, something that God has not chosen to give us that usually belongs to somebody else. So you look at this, and you look at that word desire, and you say, well, is the word desire bad? Because a lot of times it does have a very negative connotation in our culture. Is desire bad? Uh, no, and yes. So let's look at Psalm 37.4. If you want to write Psalm 37.4, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. So we know it's good. Desires can be good. But then if you write down 1 John 2.15, it reads, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life 
comes not from the Father, but the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So yeah, desires can be bad. So how do we, if I don't want to desire something bad, then what, what's kind of a litmus test? What's kind of a, 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 something I can use to walk out of here with today and say, is that desire bad or good? And I come across this quote from Francis Schaeffer, who's a, a pastor and a theologian. He wrote this. He says, desire becomes sin when it fails to include the love of God or men. I had to read it twice. It's like, that's right. It's absolutely right. Desire becomes sin when it fails to include the love of God or men. And in that you see the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is a summary of the Ten Commandments. He says the same thing right there. Desire is bad when it falls outside the great commandment. It's like, yeah, he's got it. If my desire does not include the love of God or love of my neighbor, that desire will probably be of the world, its possessions, and its pleasure, and ultimately those always turn out bad. The 10th commandment, you know, you always save the best for last. Why did God use the 10th commandment as a bookend? And I call it a bookend. You always put the most important at the front and the back sometimes. And so when I look at this, I call the 10th commandment a bookend. In a way, some people say if you break the first nine, you've broken the 10th. So why did God say this one last? And in a special way, this one, as you've seen over time, all these ones interconnect, but this one connects to all of the other nine. It gives us a fresh perspective to the angle of sin. And so look at your second sermon note with me. The 10th commandment is the first on the horizontal plane. Now what does that mean? It means that the 10th commandment is just like the first commandment but on a horizontal plane. The first commandment, Deuteronomy chapter five, verse seven says, you must not have any other gods before me. You must not worship anything else on the vertical plane. The 10th commandment tells us you do not worship anything on the horizontal plane. The 10th commandment is also about idolatry. That's what the first commandment is, worshiping somebody besides God. So is the 10th commandment, but it's on the horizontal plane. Let me show you Colossians 3, verse 5. It says, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of the world. Look at the bookends. Only worship God, vertical don't worship the things of this world. That's what coveting and desire is. I'm worshiping the things of this world. And they kind of squeeze in all the others. Our desire, when it's in a wrong direction, it becomes those three nasty words, envy, greed, and jealousy. And when I have envy, envy, sorry, envy greed, and jealousy, I desire something so much that I begin to worship it. It becomes my thing. It's the one thing I want more than anything else, and I, it becomes my object of worship. What our greatest desire for, that's what we will worship. The 10th commandment reveals, uh, a lot of theologians will say this one is the stealthiest of all the sins because it starts here. You don't know it till much later. It's easy to know that adultery is wrong. It's easy to know that stealing is wrong. This one you do not see until it's too late because it starts here. 
Greed and jealousy and envy are hard to see early. They grow until all of a sudden when you do detect it, things are so bad. And so if, if we're saying, well, then how do, I, how do I know? How do I know since it starts here? How do I know it's bad? So you know how I love lists, so let me show you a list. How do I know I'm coveting something? So I made a list. First, here's signs that I'm coveting. One, money is always on the mind. Looks your spouse or person next to you saying, that's you. No, don't do that. But have you ever been wrapped up about money? Like when it's not enough or spending too much? When money is always on my mind, I'm always worried about my finances, there might be a sign here that something is off. Second, retail therapy. We use this as a positive word. I wouldn't. Amazonitis. It's so easy to go to Amazon and get stuff the next day that we buy stuff we don't want or don't need, like a $48 thing to fix your slice. Retail therapy, it's where I go to fill a need. Third thing, you have a path house. Now, 25 years as a paramedic, let me explain what a path house is. There's many of them in Manhattan. You walk through the door and there's a path through the house because they've stored up so much stuff in the house and you can't take in our cot and our medical equipment. You squeeze down the hallway all the way to the back of the house where the person is and then you gotta somehow get them out of the house. And a lot of times we had to move things to get them out of the house. We call them path houses. They exist. Pretty common. Not common, but not that unusual. And you say, well, hey, uh, we don't have a path house. Do you have a path garage? <laughs> well, there's just a path through your garage. You've never put your car in your garage. Nope, we don't have a path garage. Well, let's talk about the one a lot of people have, a path storage unit. Because I know a lot of people, because you stack them right to the very ceiling and there's a path. How many times I've gone to go, hey, can we move a piece of furniture? And we go help them move a piece of furniture. There's this little bitty path and there's a big couch way in the back. And there ain't no way that's coming out unless we move everything out. Maybe. Now maybe those are signs that we're coveting. This next one, uh, keeping up or ahead of the Joneses, we covet our neighbors. We covet their new car. We covet the job promotion that our neighbor got. We covet that their kids are doing really well in sports, so we start sending our kids every weekend to a sports thing, and, just, and it just gets out of control. We covet what somebody else has, our neighbors and things like that. It's like, man, if we could just do that, we could have that same status. That one's an easy one. This next one is a saying that we have up north growing up in Nebraska. I have a duck's bottom in ice water. First service didn't really get this. So it's from living up north where it's colder. The saying is, you're tighter than a duck's bottom in ice water. It means you're so stingy. God's resources and everything he gives them are so tight that we don't do anything with them except storm. So you guys don't say tighter than a duck's bottom in ice water? You might have to live a little more north to understand that one. Here's the next one. I might be coveting if I have the latest, you fill in the blank, but no toothpaste. We have the latest Xbox 480 or the PlayStation 12 or the 50-inch high-def, well, it's probably 72-inch high-def TV, but we don't have the basic needs in our home. And we see that we start foregoing the basic needs to have the things that we desire. How about this next one? It stings a little bit too. We're paying interest only on a mortgage. I know people that are paying interest only on mortgages. 
And I know people are paying interest only on credit cards. They're just staying with the payment. And we gotta look at what's deep down behind all that. And the last one, two words, mega millions. That I take money and I'd invest in the lottery or gambling. Now the reason why I bring this one up is I see that everything, we talk about this a lot from the pulpit, everything I have, I am stewarding for God. I am a steward, I'm never an owner. My money, my house, everything I steward, because when I die, I am naked going in that coffin except for my last set of clothes, and everything moves on. Everything belongs to God, including my money. If I invest in a lottery ticket, what am I doing with God's money? I'm hoping that I land the mega millions. Well, why do we want the mega millions? So I can store up and not worry And the one thing we look at that, we look at this whole list, we look at these today, this wouldn't have made sense 2,000 years ago in the New Testament or further back. This makes sense today, what coveting is. The question behind all these is not that they're all necessarily wrong, but what is the desire behind them? So why is this commandment so important? Why is this a bookend? Why did God wait to say, bang, let's land this on the 10th? But I'm gonna ask you a question, why is this commandment so lethal? They believe this commandment is lethal more than any other. Now let's look at our next sermon note together. Coveting is a destroyer of relationships. This is why it's so lethal. This is why God puts it here. It destroys relationships. Anytime we covet, we desire something more than God and we desire something more than others or our neighbor. Anytime we covet, we move off the great commandment to ourselves and we desire something that God has not designed for us. When I desire something so bad, let's say like a promotion, and so I work 60, 70 hours a week, I don't go home, and I notice that I'm even working Sundays and everything because I desire this more than I desire my relationship with God. And next thing I'm missing, I'm missing, I'm missing, I'm missing and my relationship with God begins to deteriorate till it gets ultimately destroyed. When I desire something about my neighbor and what they have and then I go in that same process, it'll eventually damage that relationship with my neighbor in the same way. Jesus told a parable about what, let's first, how this destroys our relationship with God. So he tells a, he tells a parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus is out preaching in a crowd and in verse 13 it says, and someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So Jesus is teaching, this guy yells this thing out completely out of the blue, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our inheritance with me. I'm not getting any. And Jesus replies, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said to everybody, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, now what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones because my current barns are path barns. I have to walk. I can't get through them. 
And I'll build bigger ones. I don't have enough room to store all my wheat and all my other stuff, all my goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have stored enough away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool, you will die this very night and then who will get everything that you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not to have a rich relationship with God. Hit it right on the head. Man, he hit it on the head. It isn't that having God blesses this man with crops and all he thinks is he switches and then that relationship is like, if I store up more, I store up more, I store up more, I'll be okay. I don't trust God that he will take care of me. And his relationship with God is destroyed. He moves further away because he's too focused on the barns. In that story, there is six I's and five me's, 11 times. I, 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 me, me, me. Question is, what are we storing away for the future that we can be using now to build our relationship with God and others? When we do this, when we store and when we, we spend, we do these things, what we say is, God, I don't trust you to care for me. I'm going to do it myself. Now, let me understand what that means. When I say, hey, God, I don't trust you that you're giving me enough, so I'm going to go take it on myself, I have to turn from him and focus on something different. And when I turn from God and focus on something different, my relationship with him begins to deteriorate. I'll move out of the community of Christ. I'll become so focused on things. I won't have any time for him during the week. And next thing you know, my relationship with God is gone. It's gone. James chapter four talks about how it works on the horizontal, how it destroys relationships with my neighbor, my brother, my sister, starting in verse one. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. It's amazing how when we desire and covet things, it's amazing how far we'll go to destroy, we'll destroy and damage relationships to get it. What's happening with our neighbor when I see what and desire what my neighbor has, I no longer see my neighbor in the image of God. I see them as competition or a means to an end. Does that make sense? When I desire what my neighbor has, I no longer see them in the image of God or my relationship with them. I see them as a means to an end or competition and then my relationship with them changes and ultimately it can destroy that relationship. I think you're kind of getting how deep this commandment really is, why it's the tenth. A coveting heart commonly starts with comparing ourselves to others. This is the human way, this is the, the, the way of an American achiever in an achievement culture. It's human to compare ourselves with others. You cannot go out on a news feed or Facebook Live or whatever and not see the ads that are telling you you need this which helps you compare to this. So people will say it is. It's human to compare ourselves with others, but my question is, is it Christian to compare myself with others? 
So here, here's our fourth sermon notes. Our fourth sermon notes, we need a new standard to compare ourselves. Stop comparing ourselves with others. We need a new standard to compare ourselves. All around us, you're going to be barraged all day today about compare ourselves with others, but the Bible gives us a different answer, a different standard. We're going to go over to Romans chapter 7. We got the early church leader Paul here writing to the Roman Christians, and Paul's wrestling within himself as he writes this. And he writes this, this different standard. He says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's Ten Commandments with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to sin and is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. And Paul asks this, who, who will free me from this life that is dominated by buying stuff and stinginess and sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the answer. Do you know what Paul was struggling with in this context? Go read chapter seven this week. What Paul was struggling with, you go back to verse seven, this is what Paul was struggling with. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. Paul was wrestling with coveting. He says, I know coveting's wrong, yet I do it anyway. What can free me? Answer, verse 25, Jesus. Now that's a pat answer if we just say, well, Jesus, right? We, we use that answer for everything. It's, let me take away the pat answer. What's he trying to say? Paul is saying, I thought all the things of the world would fill me up, but they only last a few moments and then I feel empty again. How does this stop? Jesus. How do I be filled with Jesus? How's my heart filled differently and I'll no longer have those desires? Let's look at our fifth sermon, our last one together today. Are you looking for a full life? Be more like Jesus and less like me. I'm still kind of in a pat answer, so I wanna, I wanna break this down a little bit. The more I desire Christ, the less I'm gonna desire the things of the world, which means the more that Christ fills me and fills my heart and his desires for God and others, the less I'll desire the things of this world. The New Testament shows us multiple scriptures about how we can be filled, feel full, so I don't want this other stuff. Filled with the same desires that Christ has. Remember, this is a 10th commandment. It's not about don't, it's about do. The 10th commandment says be more like Jesus, less like ourselves. So how do we do that? Ephesians chapter three, starting verse 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit and then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Trust in him. Your roots will grow deep down into God's love and it will keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, and how deep this love is that fills us. And may you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully. Now help me here. Then you will be made, say it loud, complete. With all the 
fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Go this way with your desires and you will be filled completely. If our desires start with the love of God and the love of Jesus and then extends to our neighbors, that love fills us and it radiates out of us and we're so empowered by the Holy Spirit. When that happens, we only grow more. We grow deeper down, stronger. It fills us and we never see the things of the world the same anymore. But the one thing I really push back here all the time is that we are church. These are not for us individually, none of them. So let's go to Ephesians chapter four. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Christ, Jesus gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip the people, God's people, to do his work and build us up, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ you guys we can't do this without each other we all help each other with our desires and our focus and we do it all week long it's not here for Sunday for an hour it's how we're community together once we walk out of these doors and how we're community with our neighbor we need each other. And let me finish out here about this standard of Jesus in Romans 13, which then gets us on the lateral one more time. It's on the horizontal about our neighbor, starting in verse eight. It says, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are all summed up with this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So full, it radiates on the horizontal. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. When we love God's law and allow that to fill us, we are filled with the love of God, filled with the love of Christ, and then that love extends out to others. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you do not love God first with all you got. But when you do that, it overflows well to this. So love my neighbor, love my neighbor. How does that look? Save the best for last. This is a picture, it's actually captured from a video. So it's really grainy, terrible, but it's amazingly meaningful. We'll put a picture of it up here for you to see also. It's a picture in my man cave. That is a picture of Jesse Mortensen, a person who goes to church here who played football, blowing me up at Lake Elbow and throwing me across the water. That's me, my arms flying back. I love this picture because 30 seconds earlier Jesse got wet first when we baptized him. I remember with Jesse going to McDonald's with him the first time when he was struggling with life 
I, I didn't baptize him. I didn't do anything. I didn't save him. I didn't. He was wrestling with life. And we sat across from each other, and he was trying to see if he could trust me. And we met at McDonald's. I think I spent money. I think I bought breakfast. I don't remember for sure. That grew into a relationship, and we wrestled with life. We wrestled with God. And then Jesse one day got in the water and said, I'm done with the world. And I belong to Jesus. This doesn't mean anything. That means everything. Through my whole life, I've been discovering the love of God. And every day I'm overwhelmed by it that it starts flowing out of me to others. That picture means the world to me. And I have several memories like that. You have memories like this. This stuff necessarily isn't bad. It can be. But when this is my desire, this loses out. Loving my neighbor. How do I love my neighbor? Mercy, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, trust, patience. That's how we love our neighbor. And we share with them the same love that saved us. And I think that's a great time to talk about communion. Communion is a time that we remember together the value of Jesus over everything else. Only Jesus. It's a song we're going to listen to here in just a minute. Only Jesus. He's enough. He's enough. He's enough. He's enough. This stuff. Jesus is enough. I don't need all this. At the communion table, we are one as a family. We are reminded at communion of being forgiven. We're reminded at communion together that we have eternal life. And we're reminded that we're family. At the communion table, we are filled, not by the juice and the bread, those are symbolic, but the communion table, we're all filled by Jesus. It's probably the highlight of the whole church service is this moment. We're gonna do things a little bit differently today. And that is that we're gonna watch a video because this video shares, it's a song only Jesus by Casting Crowns. It's a little different, I just want you, that once the video starts to come up, there'll be people here, if the servers wanna join me, they'll serve bread and you can grab a cup. I ask that you take them back and don't take them just yet. But focus while you're in line or while you're coming up, focus on this video because it talks about everything we just talked about. And then once we're all done, we'll gather together again and we'll take communion together. If you're new to us or not sure about rules, here's the rules. The communion table is open to all who believe in Jesus Christ. You are a family while you are here. But I want to add something else. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and he draws you to the table, come. But then meet with us afterwards and talk about what it is that he's drawn you into. We want to do that with you. So as we go into worship together, start coming forward and we'll take together in just a moment. Make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams, chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers. But all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the light, but it was up to me to make a name the world remembers. 
share with you a verse out of Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 through 10 right up here Sue can you pop up Colossians 2 there thank you for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form what that means for in Christ all the fullness of God is in him it's fully God fully man when he come to earth it's fully God and fully man today and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. At the communion table, we're all filled. And only in Jesus can we be filled. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and he gave it to his closest friends. That's us. Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. He said, take this in remembrance of me. Continuing on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The scripture reads, in the same way, Jesus took a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, the new agreement between God and his people. Jesus says, confirmed with my blood. The juice symbolizes his blood. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again our greatest hope. This cup symbolizes Jesus' blood poured out for us. Let's take it together, remembering because of this cup we are forgiven. Because of this cup, we all have new life and eternal life. I'm gonna move right into offering. We talk about offering probably being the biggest part of the service outside of communion, maybe the second biggest part. Because communion is where we give to God something that we need to give Him, and usually it's change. The big thing I ask is that we all maybe know in our minds or reflect on today what do we desire that's not God? And it's not about the love of our neighbor. Can we all kind of do this offering today that we take this? Leave it at the cross. You know, I look on, there's not necessarily anything bad in there, but there's things I see in my life that I spent a lot of time on that I shouldn't have. But I know there it's forgiven and I can move forward, and I know what's right. So maybe our first offering today is we take that box of stuff, or we clear that path garage, or we, whatever it is. Whatever is taking away our desire from God, which takes away the desire for my neighbor to know Jesus. Our first offering is, let's put something at the cross today. The second offering is, how do I change my desires today to be different? How do I put God first? We live in the most affluent nation in the world. We have what we need. And how do we use what God gives us to grow our relationship with him stronger and pour that out on my neighbor and show my neighbor the love of Christ? Our offering today is our time, our treasure, our talents. There's boxes at the back. Financially fuel the mission of our church to share the good news with others. When you give your time, treasure, and your talent, those things don't matter. Things of the eternal do. This goes on forever. I can't imagine all the joy God will show me in heaven one day of how he worked through me 
I work through you. Let's make that our greatest desire first. Nothing can take this away. And this is eternal. So let's pray for that today. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these commandments. They aren't stifling. They're life-giving. Father, thank you that you wrapped it up with the most important commandment, and that is that we all desire a relationship with you first. And Father, overflow your love in us that we just hammer our love, our neighbors with love, with goodness, with mercy, with kindness, with the good news. And let this church and all your churches here change the world and bring them to know the love of God and love of neighbor too. We can make a huge difference and we already are. Father, bless each person as they, as they give the wrong desires back to you today and as they and bless them Show them, show us all how we're really filled with Jesus. Father, show us to be more like him and less like ourselves. Bless this church today. Let's go out and change the world to the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's watch eternal things happen every day. Bless our people here. Father, two people I just keep to mind really quick. I pray for Gordon Dow. His granddaughter fell in a pool. She's critical condition today. We pray for that family. Father, surround them, bring hope. Father, we pray for uh, Trish Rumbaugh today. Uh, she's not with us right now because she's about a week away of going into tests and everything to get a bone marrow transplant to beat cancer. Father, the, the church pray for her. Hold her up. We miss her. I know she's watching. Bless her, and, and as she's isolated for a period of time, protect her. Have everything go well, Father. Let her know your grace and peace around her. Father, rise up your church to go out and be like Jesus today. We pray all this in his mighty name and all God's people said. Amen. As we were finishing out this